Lila. Welcome to Hell or High Ranch Wire. Cheers. Cheers. That was a good one. Was it? Well, I don't know. You didn't like it? Wait, I have to take a sip. Same. We have different kinds of ice. We have different kinds of ice. So we're talking about cheersing last night. Well, hold on. Was it last night? Yes. First of all, I just want to, it was yesterday. That was not at night. That was during the day. But we're drinking water. And the reason that we're drinking water is because we're hydrating. And the reason that we're hydrating is because we are, um, this is exciting. We're hosting our second annual Black Time Boots Party tonight at my house. And it is the one year anniversary tomorrow of our first party, which was the subject of our first Hell or High Ranch Water podcast. Yes. Oh, that's so, that's cool. I didn't know where this was going. Yeah. I was just laughing when you were talking because I'm like, oh my God, these people must think all we do is throw parties. I mean, why wouldn't we just throw parties though? But I mean, like the, literally the last podcast that we released, I believe we were were throwing a party. Right. Yes. I'm, 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 like, I'm, I'm not complaining. Yeah, I mean, we're not denying who we are. But yesterday, Lila and Sir Charles arrived in Dallas. We met at El Braco, which is our neighborhood haunt. God, is it bad I even forgot that we even did that for lunch? I wouldn't say it's bad, but it's an indication of what happened in the 24 hours since. Not that I've like, just like, our lives are very full. Our lives are very full. Like, the, most things that happen to us in a 24-hour time period, if like happened to people in like over the course of many days. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Kind of a lot can happen. But um, we sat down to lunch and we ordered some drinks. Charles didn't order a drink. He ordered water. Oh, yes, I know. But then we were all excited to be together. Nico was there. I had ordered a, it's called the El Braco, and it is a frozen greyhound. Because we were having a PFL. In fact, we had, we were having a PFL, so we had drinks. So we were having we were having a PFL. So we were having a drink. Charles didn't order a drink. We went to do cheers, and he did his cheers with water. Mm-hmm. But he made eye contact with me, and I guess you hadn't made eye contact with him when you did your cheers with him. So we started talking about all about cheers, and it's shocking to me how many people do not know the basic rules of the toast cheers clink clink. We did learn situation. one thing yesterday, though, when because Chad asked about, do you tap the table? I, yeah, I don't tap the table. I don't either. But I don't think you have to tap the table. Right. But he said, like, the origination of the tap the table was to... He said a couple of times that it was a hygiene thing. And I just couldn't understand what word he was saying. But he was saying hygiene <laughs> over and over. And what I was like, hijinks on the high seat? Like, what? But he was saying that if you, you, there used to be something on top of the water. And if you tapped it, it would, or not on top of the water, but I get probably on top of your beer. I don't know. And I if you tapped know. it, it would mix it in. I don't know this. Here are the things I know. And I want everyone to know because I see these problems really commonly. I was having a drink with a friend the other day and he did this. He did this. Okay. How do you do this? You raise your glass. You cheers, you look them in the eye, and you immediately drink drink. Yes, you need to make eye contact yep. with everybody that you are cheersing There's with. the old wives' tale. If you don't do it, it's seven years of bad luck or something like that. Or bad other stuff. I don't know. I mean, oops. I've heard seven years of bad SEX. Mm. Well, you have to spell that out? It's a child-friendly podcast. I mean, it's not a child-friendly <laughs> podcast, but uh, you know, family-friendly? I don't know. I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, but I've just heard that rumor. And then you do not set your drink down before you take a sip. 
Correct. That's a crazy thing to do. People do this. They are crazy. Yeah. That is nuts. Don't ever do that. It's I was weird. in New York for work and uh, one of our friend's kids was young at the time and like had like a sippy cup and we were drinking, the mom and I were drinking wine. And so like I taught the kid how to do a cheers and you do, like the whole, exactly what we're talking about. And so she kept wanting to do it over and over and over. And I was like, I'm going to get drunk. Like, we've got to stop. Like, like, this is good. We only do it the first time that we're uh, sitting down for a drink. Yeah. Yeah. You only have to do it the first time. And then you just My parents used to put my milk in a wine glass when we were in or like water or whatever I was drinking when I was a small child. So I didn't feel left out. That's really sweet. I just offer my kids wine, but they don't want it. You know. Really? Yeah, really. It doesn't taste good to them. Wine is no, no, no. I'm no. I'm just surprised. Oh, you're surprised I offer them wine? Well, also, I've never seen this. I always offer a little bit. It's like the French children thing. Yeah, I mean, I didn't I'm offer not, it since I'm not, like four. Okay, no one, judgment. I've just I've never seen it. Given okay. the amount of time that I am here, we had some friends who were uh, came to Allison's yesterday after our dinner. I think they were kind of, I guess, pleasantly surprised. Might be the right word of like how close we all are. Like, is this just the way it is? It is just the way it is. Okay, I need to go back to one thing. What are you Googling? I just looked up why you don't cheers with water. And I think Chad needs to know this because he does it. Okay. And does it or did it yesterday? Well, if he did it once, I'm guessing he's done it before when he's ordered water because he didn't seem, I mean, I'm going to tell you what the situation is. Uh, It's looked down upon across many cultures. It is believed that the act brings bad luck or even death upon the recipient. This feels strong. I'll wait for it. And in some cases, death upon yourself. One moment, wait for it. This I don't know if this is true or not. I, I cannot <laughs> confirm or deny. The U.S. military actually forbids it with naval folklore claiming that a toast with water will lead to death by drowning. Oh, wow. I mean, that's, that's a fun serious. fact. That's a fun the, fact. Yeah. The first part just seems ridiculous. But this, the second part, like I'm all about like old traditions and like the U.S. military Jeff. forbids it. I love that. I think we need to let Chad know. <laughs> well, he listens to this, so. Okay. He might be the first one, actually, that listens. You can toast with an empty glass, though. Oh, that's interesting. Why? According to the world of superstition. I, I just says <laughs> that you can. The world of superstition. This is what we're talking about? Well, no, I'm just, can you, to- can you cheers without alcohol? Toasting with an empty glass may be viewed by some as acceptable behavior for the non-drinker, although feigning to drink from such a glass would likely be seen as ridiculous. The Fact. person giving the toast should never do so with an empty glass, even if the glass contains nothing more than water. Ugh, the, co- the rules are getting complicated. So if, if you're giving the toast, you cannot have an empty glass. You could use water. But then I don't think you want to ching ching with your water. Um, you are better off to toast with an empty glass than with water. Proposing a toast to somebody with water is akin to wishing bad luck. It just yeah. According to the Navy's mess mess night manual, water toasts are bad luck. Toasting That's someone kind of with water was considered akin to wishing them and maybe yourself death by drowning. Which is interesting because uh, you know when you're on a ship, there's not alcohol. What? <laughs> you can't drink on a ship. We have a. Uh, you mean the naval? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, you're googling this. Ask Andrew. Will be here in a matter of hours. That's why when they go to port, they get so drunk. Drinking is strictly prohibited, Correct. and commanding officers will be held directly responsible. That sounds rough. Yeah, they're on a boat for like it's six one, months. Here's the to here, a year, a hundred years dry. The Navy's end of alcohol at sea. This is like really old that they banned this. Yes. On 1914, th- yeah. naval, the U.S. Navy officially became dry. Yeah. So that's why I think it's interesting that you can't cheers with water 
but you can't, you also can't in the Navy, you can't drink with water, but also you can't drink but on a ship. when they get off the boat that they go in. Yeah. But and, they're and on they a boat, Allison, for a very, very long time. Well, the history of this is actually really, really good. Okay. We're going to get off of the topic of uh, U.S. naval history and Well, maybe drinking. we can make this, you know, natural transition. Why do you think that they outlawed booze on boats, on well, ships? Well, it was because of a teetotaler, as it turns out. One could argue that, like, heavy machinery that in firepower plus alcohol plus 18-year-old boys without full frontal lobes <laughs> formed could be a bad idea. Alcohol plus guns is high risk. I mean, when the order was first announced in 1914, it was met with derision and mockery in the press, which regarded the policy as an attempt to make the Navy softer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I wonder, can you look at- They made fun of this admiral, Grape Juice Pinafore, the (laughs) the USS Grape Juice Pinafore. Was that a real name of a real ship, Grape Juice Pinafore, who over- Can you look up the Royal Navy? Because I feel like they can't have this Made in England, inheriting- Britain's Royal Navy tradition of providing sailors with a daily ration of rum in the 18th century, the U.S. Navy established in 1794, that sailors were to receive a pint of distilled spirits a day. A pint? Uh-huh. Of distilled spirits? Of A pint of liquor? Yeah, yeah. And then they replaced it with um, whiskey. They replaced whiskey, the rum with whiskey. Sailors who did not wish to imbibe or were underage were paid an extra three to six cents a day. They reduced it to one gill, four ounces, in 1842 and eliminated it during the Civil War. It is amazing when you go back in the history of, like, people just drank so much, like, more than we do now. Or was it weaker? I don't know. I feel like no must, one it must have had been drinking as much as we drink. I mean, I, we were talking about the Churchill thing yesterday. That's true. Churchill drank a lot. Someone tried drank, to drink as much as Churchill did. They, and they, they like, wanted to do survive. the same, like, routine because he drank basically the same thing every day. He also took two baths a day. Went to the Church of Worms, and my dad misunderstood the... Uh, <laughs> the Church of Worms? The Churchill War Rooms. Oh. <laughs> Please enunciate. We were at the Churchill War Rooms, and my dad misunderstood the British accent of the person giving the tour. And by the person giving the tour, it was obviously an audio tour. And instead of two baths a day, he thought it said two bowels a day. <laughs> My dad was like, that's amazing. What was this guy eating? Do you think it's because he drank so much? My mom was like, what are you talking about? He took two baths a day. I'm like, two baths, two baths. Two baths. I don't even want to take two baths every day, though. It's a lot of work. I mean, I have to take two showers in a day, which is very different than a bath. Why? Well, because I need them. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if I work out and then I have to, like, do something else or work out twice, Okay. I'll stop Work out in the morning, maybe. But um, so we talked last week about control and the world going crazy. And we were thinking about the risk that people take in this crazy world. I mean, everything is changing. NFTs, if you're not on that train, Nick Are you on that train? Is. Well, Nick is. I mean, I, I track all this stuff because I am a technology investor, but Nick is doing a lot of interesting things with NFTs. We've got the- Did om- I tell you about our friend who bought the, who spent two grand on like a tomato NFT that's now worth 50 grand? This is the thing. Yes, this is, I mean- So stupid. Is I, it though? I don't know. I mean, in in Web3, we're all going to have this stuff that we own that what we can Web port 3? around. Okay. <sighs> I don't the world is know. changing. The world is changing. I don't it's an go exciting to this new time. World. I know. I feel you. I feel you. But that's why we have people like Nick that can make sure that we 
personally get in on this new world. It's going to be cool. It's going to be great. I think on the downside, there is a dystopian world where everyone's just hooked up to some version of the Oculus Quest and existing at fake concerts and in fake social situations. I love real social situations, I, as evidenced too. by the fact that we perpetually throw parties. But that's what I'm saying. That's the dystopian outcome. There's a less dystopian outcome where actually we use the blockchain to port around the things that we own and among our different sort of digital properties and digital spheres, we own our data. The blockchain is going to solve a lot of problems that just haven't been solved uh, in the consumer experience with regard to your data and different things that you should own and that you may only want to license to or give very you know selective access to for other people. So anyway, there's going to be a ton of opportunity in the new world. I think it's freaky to some people. Uh, we're also making the transition in a time when some people feel like there's a pandemic going on. Just Not a big fan of, of the it, news. So. I know. Um, but we still have to go through our lives and decide how much risk we're taking. So Lila and I thought on the heels of planning, we might talk a little bit with you about risk. And the first question I have for Lila is, where do you think your appetite for risk is? Relative to who? Relative to the general population and then Hi. and then relative to me. Ooh, I think it's a that's a that's like a what was it, an instant to everyone else I feel like my risk tolerance is higher. Okay. I feel uh, the same. But I also feel again like these are things we've talked about before but like because of experience or because of like doing a lot of due diligence to like make sure we have all our bases covered. Um but between you and me, I just think it depends on the situation. Okay. What so- do you think? I agree with you that general that relative to the general population, we have like an appetite for risk, but not all kinds of risk. Like neither one of us will ride motorcycles usually. Mm-hmm. There was a time. A I, there was a time in my life. I, I'm sure I would have. Okay, I wouldn't have. Like I'm not into physical risk. Like That's I wouldn't not, have yeah. ever avoided sports. I just might not have like done a whole job where my where I was going up in a helicopter and shooting things. Wasn't it? That was a side hustle. Uh, it was a company you owned. Um, <laughs> I hung out with my former business partner in that the other day. And I mean, like the story, you forget, because like the, we, that was so normalized for what we did. And to see people's face of just like confusion and, well, are you strapped in? And I was like, meh. At one point, and someone called me out, actually a colleague was like, I've seen videos of you doing this online and you are literally like on the rung of a helicopter just hanging out. Yeah. But like my, you become desensitized to it. Right. It feels it feels safe to you because over time you've done it so many times, right. your brain feels that this is like a safe thing versus someone. And I think that's like anything that we do. There's tons of stuff that I don't feel like is risky because I've done it so much. And that's where we're smart because we develop this like muscle memory about okay. something and like a safe context. And then you kind of like have that to carry with you. That's what you're talking about, yeah. about like de-risking things. But there are other kinds of risk. You know, career context, right? People, I would I hate to say it, envious of some of our life adventures in a career as well. But it was that first, we took a couple different leaps that required having uh, some courage to do, which then made our risk evaluation of doing other things different. I don't know if it's like a risk calculus or like made the bar for doing potentially different things lower. Like, are you talking about the time that you finally left Goldman and then after, then, 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 then like leaving jobs didn't feel so risky to you going yeah. forward and you would like leave them willingly? Yeah, I think that's how I feel about having kids. The first one feels like a risk, but after you've gotten one or two, you're like, yeah, it's just another kid. Well, I was actually thinking about when I first probably started doing dangerous things, it would make my mom very nervous, my parents very nervous. And now they're just like, okay, they're well up to date. Like they're just used to it. Yeah, I can see that. Like you don't want your kids riding motorcycles and you don't want, you didn't want Will to bull ride. 
Right, because that feels like not good ROI. Correct. So that's the whole that's thing. That's the risk calculation. It's like, it's like you want high, if you're going to have high risk, you want really high reward to go along with it. And that's my problem with something like motorcycle riding. I feel like the reward just could never pay off versus the risk, like risking your life. Um, but when you talk about investing in something, you know, usually the riskier investments that you make financially, or even the riskier investments maybe that you make with your time could have a really high payoff. Mm-hmm. You can 10x like, something or zero goose egg. It's just like always avoid going into a situation where you can't afford to lose everything if the risk is losing everything. I think we do good calculus, but I, I, I talk still about want really all, high reward. For sure. But I think you and I have had this conversation a lot of, all right, what's the worst case scenario? And if we can live with the worst case scenario, then the upside will take care of itself. Right. So it's a combination of two things. What's the worst that could happen? And how likely is that outcome? Right, right, right. That's the calculus for what risk you could tolerate. And then you look at what the upside is and whether it justifies the risk that you're taking. Like, could you win big? I mean, the motorcycle one. I think riding motorcycles is crazy. I wouldn't even want to go on the highway in a smart car. Yeah. So I have that. I have a classic car that you've never ridden in. I've never ridden in it. Correct. And I was telling Chad, and I guess we're talking about this wine thing the other night. I am a much safer driver in that car. So it's a 1957 Porsche Speedster with a 1970 Volkswagen engine. I always have to be very clear because a 1957 Porsche Speedster goes for like millions of dollars. And this one does not um, because it's got a 1970 Volkswagen engine and any high school kid can work on it. But we had to have seatbelts put in it. And it's essentially a go-kart that I drive rather quickly across Houston. And I acknowledge that it's not safe, but I, I don't text and drive. Like I am much more aware of the road and aware of the surroundings. And I think that's probably what people on motorcycles do. Yeah, but it's still really dangerous because the problem is that there are idiots out there that are, are texting and driving. Yeah, this is this this totally is the jeans and them. starter jacket like ski situation. Yeah. Like I'm not afraid of myself getting hurt skiing because I can con- I feel confident in my ability. Right. I can't control other people. Right. That's why we have to do things like wear helmets because someone can just plow into you. Even if you're not planning to ski through the trees, you can get knocked out cold. And it's like the cost. So, so there's also the cost to protect the downside risk when you want to do an activity, okay. right? It costs you nothing to put on your seatbelt. It's risky right. to drive around without a seatbelt. It costs you nothing to put on a seatbelt. Yep. It is risky to not wear a helmet skiing. It costs you very little, almost nothing to wear a helmet skiing and it keeps your head way warmer and it's better yeah. for goggles. Like I'm a big fan of the ski yeah. thing. I initially was skeptical. Same. But but I love the helmets. Yeah. They're great. When was that? Like there was like this point when, well also too- like after, you know, that guy died. Well, not many people have died without a ski helmet. But it was so interesting. Like there was this point where I, God, this is, ugh, like this is going to sound so douchey, but here we go. When I was skiing in Europe in the Alps and I was the only one that wore a helmet and everyone would make fun of me and be like, oh, you're so American. I was like, yeah, same thing. Like my, my head's warm. And I'm not going to die I'm not, if I yeah. hit my head really hard. Yeah. But now in the Alps, everyone wears Everyone a does it. Um, it's funny that America was ahead of Europe on a safety thing like that. Counterintuitive, if you will. So I think there's like physical risks. Like clearly we won't, we're not, we don't want to end the game. That's the whole thing. It's like right. you want to be stay able to in the game stay as in as the as game as long as possible. And crazy physical risks make it so that you, we talked a little bit about this with like fear, regret, Yeah. stay in the game. But then you've got to play the game. And this is what drives me crazy is there are these people who go around the world minimizing risk of every kind, emotional risk, intellectual risk, the risk of discomfort. But like, are you really living? This is the whole like 
are you out of your comfort zone? Like, what did you do today to get out of your comfort zone? Right. I used to be very good about this a couple of years ago. I mean, I love, as long as there's some sort of a reward, I don't know if I love taking risks for the sake of it as much, but if I can see a reward, I am what's, so willing to take a risk. What's the most risky, like physical thing you've done? I mean, it's probably something I've done while driving or riding in a car, like unbuckling my seatbelt to get something out of the back while the car is going like 80 miles <laughs> one, an hour. One time Allison and I were driving from Houston to Dallas and we were going to try and switch drivers while we weren't actually, but we were like, is this possible? I really wanted to. <laughs> I really wanted to. Did we tell them about the queso yet? Oh God, I don't think, no, because we haven't recorded since then. Yeah. So toying with the idea of buying a truck. And part of it is because I think my son could drive the truck when he turns 16. So it would be a good like card inherit. So Chad and Lila and I were at a golf tournament together. And the PGA tournament. We were at a, a PGA, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We, were, we, we were watching our friend Maverick play yeah. the Houston Open. And it was time for Lila and me to go back to Dallas. And Chad said we could drive his car back to Dallas so that I could figure out what it was like to drive a truck. And so we, I was so excited. It was super fun. By the way, Chad has an amazing truck. And we were, we were leaving Lila's house and we stopped for some Mexican food. Yeah, and yeah. We went through a drive-thru. Which took forever. It did take forever. And it's like, it's like small is hard to take a really big truck through a drive-thru. But these are the things, these are the things I was trying <laughs> to understand to yeah. about driving a truck. And so we got this great cup of queso and I got quesadillas because I feel like that's a great hand food for a driver. And Lila had some shrimp tacos because healthy. And we got on the freeway. We were on 45 and like doing the maneuvers. And this car, this Range Rover was White getting Rover. so close to us. Talk about time. He cut you off. 100%. But it wasn't clear that he was even going to he, cut me off. Yeah, yeah, I, I, but yeah. But he like he basically. You must have been in his blind spot. I must have been in his blind spot, which forced me to throw on the brakes to avoid him coming into the you know front quarter panel of the truck, uh, which is terrifying at like eighty miles per hour. And at the moment I slammed on my brakes. <laughs> The queso blue because I had the queso in the con- on the console in between Alice and I, so we were sharing the the queso. The queso. Uh, but at that one moment, Lila didn't have a hand on the queso, and it flew into Chad's front dash like yeah. all the electronics. Like uh, we're definitely it was, on Instagram. It was so gross. You guys, there was I was cheese. laughing so hard, and Allison was so mortified. I was terrible. I was mortified. I was. I was. And I was like, "It's fine. Good. Just pull over." Like we stopped at a gas station. Yeah. We're a little in the hood uh, at that point. Oh man, I had to go in and buy paper towels and baby wipes. wipes. Like it was in because the keys were sitting down there in the front. Of the, you know, you you know what I'm talking about, right, guys? Where all of the air conditioning and the the music electronics are, and there's that little cubby thing down below. And Chad's keys had been in there, and so and. He he has a little pocket knife on his keychain, mm-hmm. and it was... It's not a little pocket knife. He has a small <laughs> knife that's safe <laughs> usable tools. No. I don't want to paint Chad as some no, knife-wielding like... gentleman. No, but it's the, he, the word he little. He doesn't like little when in conjunction Any, with... Anything with men, anything. anything. with men. Men don't have little anythings. <laughs> so anyway, so Chad... So, But it was like in the crevices of like every one of the little Swiss Army knife tools, and I had to like pull them out. So Lila and I switched, and I spent... I don't know, probably an hour and a half of the At ride. Least for sure. And I figured out if you ever have to do this, the move is to get like a really thin credit card or gift card and then wrap it in the baby wipe mm. or something. And then you kind of like, you know, line those little crevices to 
to force the cheese out. It was kind of deeply satisfying, this cleaning project. But before all that happened, like, again, Allison was, like, mortified for a while. And I was just thought this was the funniest thing in the world. Because there was, like, no real damage. And I was I, like, take a picture. Take a picture. And you're like, I don't think I want to remember this. Oh, my gosh. I felt so bad. Someone gives you their, like, almost brand new truck to go drive somewhere. <laughs> for a year. Can you believe it? I know. That's crazy. A little under a year. Anyway, I, I feel like the risk of putting queso is fine, but probably the big, biggest physical risks I take are driving. Oh my gosh, I almost oh, die every single day. I drive yeah. the children to school. It's I went, I crazy. Will, yeah, I went with Allison, I guess a couple of times now to take the kids to school and it is, It's. I'll be real happy wild one, out there. once we don't have to do that anymore. I have to take the tollway to 635 to I-35 and back. And there's this major problem. There are no yield signs when when there when people merge onto highways in this part of the country. I don't understand what's going on. You could not realize if it's your first time merging onto the tollway or onto 35 that you are merging. And the person who's coming. Are there any alternate routes? Yeah, so many alternate routes, but they're terrible. They take like an extra hour. It already takes me more than an hour to do this trip round trip. You just have to be an incredibly defensive driver. Anyway, I don't think physical risks are the most interesting kind that we take, though. I think it's the life risks we take. Well, so one, I was just going to, because it's just popped up on my Instagram, something that I say to Annabelle all the time is go fast, don't die. This, which was started when she wanted to be a race car driver. You started saying it to her, but Chad's been saying this to you right. as a way to help internalize that you take a lot of risks, but he doesn't want you to die. It's like a thing, right? Yeah. Because remember when there was that one discussion that the three of us had about my competitiveness oh, would kill me. She almost went back to racing. But I don't think that and was the genesis. And I was like, genesis. your competitiveness won't kill you. Yeah. That was, that was the, the healthy discussion of okay. like, that I wasn't an idiot. Right? Exactly. Exactly. That's how so, I felt about so it. So go fast, don't die. When Annabelle was applying to her, what are we calling this? Powder, powder term. term. They asked what a life motto was. And so she did a variation of go fast, don't die. And I was like... It's just a brand that's ironically a motorcycle brand. Oh, I should tell them about Powder Term. I feel like this yes. is a good example of Go me ahead. taking risk in life in general. Which stay tuned to see how this unfolds. How this unfolds. So I think that most of you know that I took my kids out of school entirely, withdrew them, which felt very risky and wild last year and took on the whole responsibility for one year of their education almost because they went to a little bit of school before I realized it was not working. And then this year I put them in Alpha which was a big risk, especially since they were not all on board with it. And my youngest thought I was fully, fully nuts to do this to her and was really, really adamant that she didn't want to go. She loves it. I recently learned of something called powder term, which is five weeks in Purgatory, Colorado. In the morning, you do your schoolwork. Actually, the bulk of the educational component is around learning about avalanches. And they're going to make a recommendation at the end, this group of like 20 kids, uh, back to the Purgatory Mountain folks on how to save more lives. Um, but they also can do, they can keep up with their academic work in Alpha through these apps. And then every afternoon, basically, they have coached skiing. So they're skiing after lunch every Sounds single like day. Sounds like a dream. I think it's an incredible opportunity. No smartphones. Okay. All middle Amazing. school kids, no smartphones, five weeks. It's like school meets summer camp meets wintertime meets what is considered not an extreme sport skiing, but like a, a pretty risky be. sport. And 
you know, you layer on top of it the fact that there's no, there are no parents there. And if you've ever taken your children skiing, you know that skiing with kids is a debacle, right? Like there's so many separate things that must be kept up with the goggles, the helmet, where's your gloves? Did you bring chapstick? Do you have enough water? Did you put on sunscreen? Do you have all the pieces of your stuff? Do you have dry socks? Do you have stuff in your boots? Did you warm your boots? I mean, the list goes on and on. And then you multiply that by the number of people. And I'm pretty sure my mom thinks I am nuts. For doing this? For doing this. For sending my kids to this thing. Go on. She's very worried about Annabelle at 11 years old going and... It's going to be great for her. Well, I think it's going to be great for her too. But some people think this would be kind of risky, sending a kid away to be in the charge of some adults you barely know. This thing happened to be started by a two-time gold medal winning swimmer um, named Garrett Weber Gale, who's incredible and co-founded this thing because he really wants this to exist in the world. And I am like obsessed with his passion and drive to go out and manifest these kinds of things. But, you but my mom all- feels this is really risky. And she sa- I said, I'm not. The last text message exchange between my mother and I at this point is Who doesn't her listen, saying, hi, Tina. Hi, Tina. <laughs> she doesn't listen. Uh, she sa- is her saying, I like, I'm basically, I'm concerned about what this is like for an 11 year old, like a young 11 year old girl or whatever. And I said, it's just like summer camp. And she said, it's different. And I said, I'm not worried about Annabelle. And she said, I know you are not. <laughs> Full stop. That's it. Um, this is like goes back to what like you told detente. Maverick. That I, we've said a lot now, like right? to have ab- you have to have abnormal outcomes. You have to do abnormal things. Yes. If like, you this want is- a three standard deviation outcome for your life or for anything, you have to have abnormal inputs. Normal inputs are going to yield you straight down the middle. Or what normal Charlotte outcomes? Calls basic. <laughs> Basic. I mean, if you just want to be average, then you put in average things, yeah. uh, put in average effort and take an average path, a path that's already charted. And just I think it feels boring, but some people like boring. You and I don't. That's fine. No, we don't like boring. That's for sure. Um, the other thing I would say is the world is changing. And if you don't adjust course to the way the world is changing, then you could kind of risk being left behind. And I think where it looks like maybe I'm taking risks with my kids and these alternative educational models, I actually think there is a risk in just continuing to follow these forged paths, one foot instead of the other, as we're in a world that's really changing. What's the value of a college education going to be? How is that going to look? You know, a lot of people look at education, I was talking about this yesterday, on a spectrum of woke to unwoke, and actually think that's the wrong thing to care about and focus on right now. It's looking at where is education evolving based on science and what we understand about children, child development, the human brain. It's just much more relevant than worrying about the the particular politics of the environment that your child is in. It's the biggest risk you're not taking right now. Oh, I am full up on risk right now, Lila. (laughs) Like, I think, you know what, I actually think the biggest risk that I'm not taking is divesting from some traditional asset classes and into more blockchain and NFTs. And I've told Nick that I'm totally comfortable with him just doing this. Uh, and I'm going to stick my fingers in my ears and say, la, la, la. <laughs> but, um, but, but he and I actually are not, not jokingly together trying to figure out what the right level of investment and risk is right there, right now. And he's, less, he's more risk averse than I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I think is interesting about yeah, this. Yeah, he is. But he's also more bullish and yeah. excited about this particular vein of the future than Great. I am. I'd like to be involved in this conversation slash do the, just be like, same. Just, you and I yeah. are both yep. like, just please help. Yep. Like whatever you sign up for, sign but me up. But that's so interesting, thing. right? Because like in the doctor, in the doctor sphere, right? Like I'm the, yeah, I'll just take the medicine. Whereas you're like, oh, I would like to learn all about all of the risks of said, you know, 
steroid well, shot. Yeah. Well, I just want to know if that's the right and most optimized right. no, decision. No, you're you're all, you're you're not wrong. Because the risk I don't want to take is one where I'm blindly of course, of course. trusting someone else. But what's the biggest risk you're not taking right now? Ooh, what's a good question? Well, I, I brought that question up because in November of 2019, I went, got invited to this dinner, which has like now become quite famous in the story of Lila because I wouldn't ha- have the job that I have if it weren't for this dinner. It was like this kind of secret society, all male, invite only dinner. And myself and my friend Castlin were the first women ever invited. You know the story. I do. I didn't know you were the first women ever invited. Mm -hmm. Go on. Uh, So there's like 12 or 14 people at this dinner. And I think we might have talked about this on the podcast before. But anyway, there are two rules in the dinner. One, must tell truth. So they pose questions. And then two, it's one One conversation. conversation. You can't like have sidebar conversations. And so one of the questions was, what's the biggest risk you're you're not taking? And I, like, it's always going to be a personal thing is what the host later said because i told him i was like hey man like i knew what i needed to say but i didn't so i had said something about like firing someone and like then the whole table has this conversation and like you know but that's not really what the, no, the risk was. was chad so what's the biggest risk i'm not taking now don't want this to be a work thing again because that that's where my brain just went yeah i mean i could have listed any company that i'm not investing in but that's um, not that's not it th- this you might want to edit out but it is having a, a hard conversation with a family member because I'm afraid of like what that could do to the relationship. I think that's okay to say. Okay. Lila's been studying a lot of family relationships lately. And I think we probably are going to have a whole conversation with you about family relationships because it's it's just bubbling up. Um, for everyone. For everyone. Well, Lila, Lila's like doing some like math about what percentage of people in our friend group are experiencing really difficult situations with family members. So we'll probably come back and talk to you yeah. probably in the context of things that people don't talk, talk about. about. Yeah. I think this is probably a good time to tell. And, and maybe this is a bit of the risk that we're going to take in this podcast. Ugh. Well, so like, again, the genesis of what this podcast was, was supposed to be supposed to be it is what it is but lila and i feel like there are a lot of things that people well we don't feel like there are a lot of things that people don't talk about that are that are central to everybody's lives yeah we were at this lunch that turned to a dinner maybe with a bunch of new-ish friends to allison and this one guy who listens to the podcast was like why don't you guys talk about this on your podcast? Like, this is literally something every single married person has to deal with. And no one says this stuff out loud. And like, this is really helpful. Will you please talk talk about about sex, baby? Let's talk about you and me. I mean, one of the reasons we haven't talked about that is because it's really hard for women. Yeah in our situations to navigate that topic in a way that would make everybody feel comfortable. Like we have to yep. think about, you know, our friends would love to hear about it. Maybe. I don't know if Chad and Nick would like, how much would they be thrilled? Like what would your mom right. think about us talking about this? But the fact that this topic is so taboo. Not your mom. Cause your mom yet, doesn't listen. Right. That would be but, again, that'll be but the that one she does. So, but it's so central to everybody's right. lives and how has it become such a taboo thing to discuss? So I think maybe Lila and my commitment to you is to, take more risks going into the new year yeah, with this podcast and what we're willing to talk to you about. I think we've always thought that we could add value for folk we, or well, I mean, by, 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 by talking about some of these hard topics. I think us even just doing this podcast period was a risk. It was like we recorded for months and didn't want to put it. I know I didn't want to put it out because I was just like afraid of who all kinds of things. It's like a vulnerable thing. I can't imagine if we hadn't done this. Oh, for sure. It's the most fun thing we do. Hands down. So I was talking to our minister at church and he asked, uh, oh, I, we were talking about regret. And 
Chad Cohen's like, well, we have a th- saying that regret is a wasted emotion. He's like, ah, I kind of disagree. And so we like had this whole discussion about this. And so I start, I'm like, well, you know, in the podcast, he's like, you have a podcast? And like, we're pretty close. And he's like, do you not want me to know about the podcast? Like, why aren't you sharing this? Um, but one of the things that he talked about was this guy who always checks with his family or his kid, like his wife or his kids before he talks about them in a sermon. And I instantly, of course, thought of this podcast because we don't plan what we're going to say about this really until right before we do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh no, like, do I need to like start checking with Chad before I, you know, go and say things? But I don't think we do anything that's particularly bad, but not bad. Yeah, but if but we were like, to take on some of these topics correct. that that really are about our lives and everything going on, these men are inextricably bound up with yep. those topics and the way they relate to our lives and our personal experience. And I think one of the things, there are topics that we've actually wanted to talk about on the podcast, but that we haven't because we, neither one of us had this great, like enough experience with them to feel that we could have an authentic perspective on those topics. Um, and so we, we have not broached them with you all and we probably won't. I think we will stick to things that are authentic to us, but that also means that they're going to involve other people in our lives personally. All right. Well, stay tuned because it's our, our one year anniversary of kind believe. of kicking this whole, this whole That's jam so off. And we've been doing this for a year. I can't believe we've been doing this for a year. It's been really, really fun. And I think right now, We've got to go and get ready. Yeah. Although I think I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest, given that we're both drinking water, that we do not do a, a physical cheers right now with these glasses, given what we've learned. Ooh, good shout. Good shout. As um, the Brits say. It I, I the fact that it's forbidden in the US military I find to be amazing. And a fun fact that we can share with people going forward. So should we do a go. high five? <laughs> Yeah. Cheers. Oh, no, you gotta do that. Now I gotta do the right high five. The, oh, you. She, oh, Viola because, likes an opposite side high five. Yes, Google that. I'm a You're same so, side high fiver. Which I've like dealt with with our high fives. It was lately. Carrie, Ol- Carrie Oliver. Now and you I, look at the other person's elbow when you high five. No, well, you can you can still do that on the same side. Okay. Okay, I'll give you an opposite side high five. To- do you think? Do you think it's because you're left-handed that you like to do the? Same. I don't know why. It was <laughs> Carrie Oliver and I just would see each other in the hall in, in Westlake High School, okay. one of my good friends from high school, and we would do same side high fives. I think we took pride in the fact. Okay. You know, I, where, you know where you can go from a same, side, a same side high five if you get really good at it? Double high five. All right. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Heller High Ranch Water. Follow us on Instagram to see evidence of our latest adventures.